0: You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Thursday to you. It's time to tackle the tough questions when it comes to the Buffalo Bills offensive line entering the 2021 season. And so I've got several good questions to get to. I have some numbers that I want to share with you towards the end of the podcast. And so if offensive line data isn't your thing, you may not enjoy the last few minutes of the pod, but I'll save that for the end. But what I want to get to first is actually something that came across the Twitter timeline on Wednesday that I thought would be good to share at the start of our conversation today. And this comes courtesy of an account at Thomas Emmerich. And what he did was a little study on NFL starting offensive line continuity. And he went team by team and examined which offensive lines from 2020 were returning the most starters in 2021. And he determined a returning starter is either the player that entered week one as the starter for the team, or they wound up playing more than 50% snaps for the team in 2020. And what he determined is that five teams in the NFL returned all five starters on the offensive line with the Buffalo Bills being one of them. The Buffalo Bills, Cleveland Browns, Jacksonville Jaguars, New Orleans Saints, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Those are the only five teams in the NFL that return all five of the starters from the previous season. And I hear you right now. You're saying, Joe, you've been telling us all offseason long that the Bills' starting offensive line this year never took a snap together at any point last season. And you're not wrong. That's that's absolutely a true statement. But by this criteria, with Cody Ford being a week one starter and with John Feliciano playing more than 50% of the snaps – The Bills have all of their offensive linemen from 2020 returning for 2021, and they're one of only five teams in the league to have that luxury. In the category of one returning offensive lineman, you'll find the Kansas City Chiefs. In the two returning offensive linemen, the Baltimore Ravens. So a couple of quote-unquote contenders in the AFC – Don't really have much continuity when it comes to their offensive line, and then pretty much everyone else is in the returning three or returning four of their starters from the previous season. So why is this important? Well, they took things a step further, and what Thomas was able to figure out is that dating back to 2017, there is a correlation between offensive production and returning offensive line starters. When he goes back and puts the average number of returning starters by each team dating back to 2017 and then ranking them in terms of total offense, you see a pretty direct correlation between those good offenses returning a lot of starters and those bad offenses returning very few. When you look at the top eight offenses since 2017, the Chiefs, Bucs, Rams, Saints, Falcons, Chargers, Cowboys, Patriots. All of them averaged 3.25 or more offensive linemen returning year over year. The exception is the Chargers at 2.75, and God bless you, Phillip Rivers. They really spoiled the end of Phillip Rivers' run in Los Angeles with the Chargers by failing to give him an offensive line to work with. When you look at the bottom eight, this is where things get really dicey. The Jets, Washington, Bengals, Dolphins, Bears, Cardinals, Broncos, Giants, those are the bottom tier offenses in the NFL since 2017, and most of them bring back less than three per year. The Jets, 2.75. The Bengals, 2.5. The Dolphins, 2.75. Cardinals, Broncos, Giants, 2.75. The lone exception is... In terms of teams that have had consistently bad offense since 2017, but has done well when it comes to offensive line continuity, it's the Chicago Bears at 4.25. And that speaks more to their inability to get the quarterback situation figured out. But Thomas has done a really good job of finding this correlation between offensive line continuity and top offenses and how those things relate, and the lack of offensive line continuity for the bottom eight offenses with a pretty large sample size dating back all the way to 2017. And this is really exciting for the Buffalo Bills because they are slated to return five starting offensive linemen, right? They're one of very few teams in the NFL that can say they're returning all of their starters from the previous season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you could track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and the UFC. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit in the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's dig into some of these tough questions that were sent in by you guys regarding the Buffalo Bills offensive line. And so within these questions, I'm going to bake in a lot of different talking points when it comes to the Bills offensive line. So while the question may ask one thing, I'm going to present a lot of additional information in my responses, so stick with me here as we try to have a comprehensive discussion talking about all the challenging topics that exist with the Buffalo Bills offensive line entering the 2021 season. So the first question comes from Bob. Bob says, what are your thoughts and predictions about the center position for the Buffalo Bills this year and going forward for the next few years? The way Mitch Morse's injury and subsequent benching took place last year was curious. It makes me think they don't have a tremendous amount of confidence in him. He does have a history of concussions. I was concerned that he did not show up for part of the voluntary workouts. From a distance, I've not been a big fan of what I can see of Mitch, and having a high-quality center is important for our franchise quarterback. When do you think the Bills may look to make an upgrade? So I'll start by saying this is... I think I'm a lot higher on Mitch Morse than it seems you are. I love his range in the run game and his ability as a pass blocker. And so his ability to set the depth of the pocket and stay square on really twitchy interior pass rushers is really important to make sure that Josh Allen doesn't have quick pressure in his face. And then I love when they get him on the move and have him block off tackle and climb to the second level. He's so good in space. And so... I really value mobility, range, pass blocking, and I think you get that at a high level from Mitch Morse. So I don't necessarily see eye to eye with you on the caliber of play that Mitch Morse delivers to the football team. Now, I do think there is a good chance that this could be his last season on the team. He took a pay cut this year, and as a result of the pay cut that he took, it gained him more guaranteed money this season which tells me there was a chance that he could have been cut this past offseason. They said, hey, we'll give you more guaranteed money, but you got to take a pay cut. If you don't, we're just going to outright release you. To me, that says, okay, we're kind of forcing your hand here, but you're probably not going to get a better deal somewhere else, so you're probably going to want to take this deal. And I think that was very much an ultimatum. If he didn't take it, They would have cut him, saved the cap savings, and figured out the center position somewhere else, and that perhaps included John Feliciano being the center, and they would sort out the guard thing. So I think moving on from Mitch Morse was on the table this offseason, and the pay cut and the restructure and all of those dynamics are reasons why I think that's a very logical conclusion to draw. Now, next year the Bills – could free up $7.5 million in cap space by moving on from Mitch Morse. He's under contract next season, and there's a chance they could keep him, and he'll remain the team's starting center. But if they feel like there's other opportunities for them to get the caliber of play they're looking for on the interior offensive line and save some money against the cap, they can do it by moving on from Mitch Morse, and it'll free up $7.5 million. I've said a few times now on this podcast that between Mitch Morse and John Feliciano, one of them is not going to be around in 2022. And that's just me being predictive. I just feel like that's going to be the case. Now, John Feliciano, he signed a three-year deal, but it was structured more as a one-year and we'll see type contract. The Bills could save $3.75 million against the cap by moving on from Feliciano after this season. So between Morse... And Feliciano, there's some real cap-saving opportunities by moving on from those deals. And so whoever is left, I expect to be the center in 2022. And that's between Morse and Feliciano. And when it comes to the center position, it's definitely something that Bean and McDermott value a lot. They had a stalwart at center in Carolina in Ryan Khalil. And the first extension that Brandon Bean handed out as general manager of the Buffalo Bills was Eric Wood. They gave him a two-year, $16 million contract extension in August of 2017. Now, obviously, the neck injury forced him into retirement, but that signaled the importance of that position. Then in the next offseason, the Bills made Mitch Morse the highest paid center in NFL history at the time by signing him to a four-year, $44 million deal. So I think the Bills do place a high value on the center position. Now, I want to sneak in a quick talking point here as it relates to the offensive line and contracts because Darrell Williams is very interesting to me. We're all pretty excited about Spencer Brown being on this football team and his size and athleticism and his appeal as an eventual starter at right tackle. Well, the problem with that is Darrell Williams is the right tackle, and he signed for the next three seasons. And so what's the path for Spencer Brown to be a starter for this football team, a third-round pick? You'd like to think that's a guy they view as a developmental starter that by year two or at the latest year three is your starting right tackle. Well, in order for that to happen... Something has to happen with Darrell Williams, who just signed a three-year, $24 million deal with the team. Now, he's not going anywhere this year. There's no benefit to moving on from that contract. But they have outs after this season. The Bills can save $5.3 million against the cap if they move on from Darrell Williams after the 2021 season, and they would accumulate $3.6 million in dead cap. Now, there's even a better opportunity after 2022 where they could save $7.1 million if they move on from him after 2022 with just $1.8 million in dead cap accumulation. So there are outs in that contract. And so while the continuity for this team is really good right now on this offensive line between Williams, Feliciano, Morse, and some of the depth that they have that is developmental starter caliber, this is a cap savings opportunity when you look at some of these, these offensive linemen that they can move on from after this season. The next one today comes from TP, who says, given that both our depth offensive tackles are rookies, do you expect Ryan Bates to be the effective swing tackle on game day? I don't see McDermott trusting the job to a fifth-round rookie, and I expect Doyle to be inactive on game days, while Mount Spencer's niche could be as a big tight end and break in case of emergency right tackle. Given that, Bates seems to be the logical first man up at both tackle spots, or would you be comfortable with Lamp as the backup left tackle with Brown covering right tackle? That would make Bates indispensable, and locking in eight offensive line spots When you include starters, rookies, and Bates, this could be all the moot if Doyle proves trustworthy, but I'm not betting on that outcome. So I think this is a fun camp and preseason storyline to monitor. There is a good chance that Ryan Bates is the primary backup at tackle, but we also have to keep in mind that Brandon Bean has come out and said that he thinks Spencer Brown can be a swing tackle. He said it, quote, we think he could be a swing tackle, compete, and be a backup year one. So as a third round pick, I do think the Bills would trust a backup swing tackle role to a Spencer Brown. And that doesn't mean he still can't be the utility blocker as the blocking tight end in a pinch. So I think that needs to be within the realm of capability for Spencer Brown as a third round pick. Now, you mentioned Ryan Bates and his ability to play all five spots makes him crazy valuable. I mean, that's rare. And Ryan Bates is going to have a job in the NFL for a long, long time because he can do that. Now, it may keep him out of starting lineups because he could play back up to so many spots, but he'll keep collecting those NFL paychecks. And I remember Sal Capaccio. He went on the SpotRack podcast and talked about the possibility that the Bills could view Ryan Bates as the starting right tackle if they couldn't bring back Daryl Williams. So I think the team looks very favorably upon Ryan Bates, and they're very high on him. So if Spencer Brown or Tommy Doyle prove they're not quite ready to be the primary backups at offensive tackle, yeah, Ryan Bates could be that first man up in those situations. So as far as the makeup of game day rosters, I think it'll be the five starters, which are Dawkins, Ford, Morse, Feliciano, and Williams. And then they'll dress Spencer Brown, Ryan Bates, and Ike Bakker. Those will be the eight active game day offensive linemen, in my opinion. The next one today comes from Alex. Alex says, why isn't anyone talking about Forrest Lamp as a legitimate option to start at guard for the Bills this year? To me, he seems like a perfect fit for our system. He's mobile and has quick feet, which matches well with our zone-blocking schemes. He's better in pass-blocking than run-blocking, which matches well with our offensive philosophy. From what I've read on him, he failed with the Chargers not because of his play, but because of injuries and poor scheme fit. Assuming Lamp stays healthy, am I right to think he has a good chance of beating out Ford or Feliciano or Bakker, or am I missing something about his talent level? So, good question, But I think the team is really high on Cody Ford. Brandon Bean came out and flat out said this offseason, quote, I would be surprised if he's not a starter in our front five next year. It talked about how he's played as many games hurt as he has healthy so far in the NFL and that he had a shoulder injury during his rookie year. So he's pretty defensive of the guy he traded up for in the second round to come in and be a starter for the football team. And I think it's been challenging for Cody Ford, not just from an injury standpoint, but from a development standpoint, coming from Oklahoma in the Big 12 in an air raid system and going to the NFL where your pass sets are completely different and your run blocking technique is very different. And you're not going up against defensive linemen from Baylor and Iowa State anymore. You're going up against... NFL defensive lineman. So his transition to the NFL was always a bit challenging. But then when you factor in that he bounced around so much between guard and tackle and played hurt, I mean, his development just hasn't been there. And don't get me wrong, that's a concern. It's a concern that after two seasons, we really don't know what Cody Ford is at this point. But I think the team's really, really high on him. Now, you mentioned Forrest Lamp, so let's talk about him a little bit. They signed him back in early April, which was you know fairly deep into free agency. So this wasn't like a highly regarded option on the market. Teams weren't lining up to bring this guy in to play for their football team. And I know that doesn't mean he can't come in and have success, and the Bills found Darrell Williams late in free agency, but it is something to keep in mind. 27 years old. Like you mentioned, a former high pick, a second rounder, number 38 38 overall in 2017 out of Western Kentucky. I was a big fan of Forrest Lamp in college. I had a low first-round grade on him, really athletic, and then injuries have been a problem for him in the NFL. In 2017, he tore his ACL in preseason, missed the whole year. In 2018, uh, he was active for two games but was mostly a healthy scratch for the entire season, In 2019, he played in seven games with two starts, and then he broke his fibula and missed the rest of the season. And then in 2020, he finally was healthy, played in all 16 games, and started all 16 games. Played 100% of the snaps for the Chargers at left guard. And I do think whether it has been injuries or him playing on bad offensive lines, I mean, the Chargers really, since 2017, have not got this group right. Now, this year, I like what they have. I like what they have this year, but it has not been the greatest environment for Forrest Lamp to develop and deliver the promise of being a high second round pick. In a lot of ways, it's like what happened with Cody Ford so far. I do agree with you that Lamp is a good fit for a zone run blocking scheme. So there's a lot of reasons to buy into Forrest Lamp, but I think that this team is really, really high on Cody Ford. So I don't really anticipate Lamp starting over Ford or Feliciano. But this leads me into another really interesting talking point. Now, I've mentioned several times this offseason that the Bills are primed to trade an offensive lineman for draft picks. I think they're going to keep nine, which would be the five starters, Dawkins, Ford, Morse, Feliciano, Williams, and four backups, which I assume are going to be Bates, Bacher, Brown, and Doyle. And then in the practice squad, you have Jack Anderson, Jamil Douglas, Bobby Hart, Forrest Lamp, and Jordan Devy. You could pick, you know, probably two of them to be on your practice squad, which leaves you with three pretty interesting players left over to trade. And we've seen Brandon Bean do this. We've seen him turn Russell Bodine and Marshall Newhouse and Wyatt Teller into draft capital, players that he was going to cut, got picks back for him. So he's got what, he, what it takes to do this again this year. Now, something I didn't consider is something that Anthony Marino recently said on the Breaking Buffalo Rumblings podcast. And he made an interesting point on a recent pod that he did regarding training camp predictions. And he predicted that the Bills would trade Ike Bakker. And I love his thought process. Why Bakker? Well, he's 26 years old. He had a really nice showcase Last year as a starter, he offers positional flexibility to play center and guard. And so he's got some value right now coming off of seven regular season starts and then, you know, three in the playoffs. But what makes him really interesting is his contract. He signed a one-year $2.13 million restricted free agent deal, and none of that money is guaranteed. The Bills could trade or cut Bakker, and free up that $2.13 million in cap space with no dead cap accumulation. So if the Bills like what they see in Lamp and believe that he can be the primary backup at guard, this could be the path forward. Now, I think the team really likes Bakker. He's been around since 2018. He's developed into a reliable backup. He's from Iowa. But the value play could be there for the Bills, to recoup some draft capital, but also free up a little bit over $2 million in cap space that could mean a lot, whether it's for an extension or rollover cap space or whatever they want to use it for. I mean, this is a really attractive, interesting idea that Anthony presented. And so I don't know that I agree that it's going to happen, but it's something worth talking about. And there's a lot of logic behind why he said it. Need to tell you guys about Bilt Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the planet. So many amazing flavors. They're all delicious. They're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. It's like eating a candy bar, but they are good for you. Bilt Bars are great for anyone who is health conscious. Whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in a delicious treat, you got to try Bilt Bars. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for anyone who is on the keto diet. I've got a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and it'll get you 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. RockAuto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. The next question to get into comes from Pat who says, I want to attribute this idea to Robert Mays at The Athletic that offensive lines can be judged like chains and that they are only as good as the weakest link. Having Jason Peters in his prime doesn't make up for Vlad Dukas, for instance. I personally quite like this idea in this application, but also general team building inside and outside football. What are your thoughts on this philosophy and how it applies to the Bills? It seems like in our past it was not uncommon to have a stutter two, but the line appeared to get better when Bean acquired a multitude of players with decently high floors to raise the minimum play. Pat, I totally agree with this. Absolutely. An entire offensive line can be ruined by one weak link. You make elite players not matter because you have one guy that is a liability. Offensive line is very much, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You have one bad player and the the unit is literally ruined. Now that doesn't mean that you have to have an elite player at every position. You just need to have a starting caliber player. You have to have passable starters at every position. So I'm all the way in on this philosophy, and Brandon Bean is too. And that's why you see him sign so many players every year on the offensive line to provide depth and make sure that he has options on top of options on top of options should there be an injury or two for the offensive line to not have a guy that is a total liability and ruins what's overall a very solid unit and what that means to your offense as a whole. So I've said at the beginning of the podcast that I want to close things out by giving you a bunch of numbers. And so that's what we're going to do. I want to go through all of the Bills' offensive linemen, um, including the new players, and talk about just some raw data on what they did last year in terms of starts, percentage of snaps played, sacks they gave up, pressures they gave up, how many penalties they were flagged for, because I think this stuff is interesting and wanted to share it with you here to close out our offensive line discussion. So let's start with left tackle Deion Dawkins. In 2020, he played in 16 games with 16 starts, played 95% of the snaps for the Bills. He gave up seven sacks, 29 pressures, and was flagged for six penalties. Cody Ford, In 2020, he played in seven games with seven starts, played 38% of the team's offensive snaps, did not give up a sack, allowed 15 pressures, and was flagged for three penalties. His first two starts came at right guard, and then his last five came at left guard. Mitch Morse, in 2020, he played in 14 games with 14 starts, played 81% of the team's offensive snaps, he gave up one sack, 22 pressures, and was flagged for six penalties. John Feliciano. In 2020, he played in nine games with nine starts, played in 49% of the team's offensive snaps. He gave up zero sacks, 32 pressures, and was flagged for three penalties. His snap distribution is interesting. 489 snaps at right guard, 212 at center, and 73 at left guard. Darrell Williams. 16 games, 16 starts, 96% of the snaps, Gave up seven sacks, twenty-two pressures, and was flagged for nine penalties. Ike Bakker in twenty twenty he played in twelve games with seven starts, fifty-four percent of the team's offensive snaps. He gave up zero sacks, twenty-eight pressures, and was flagged for three penalties. Ryan Bates played in sixteen games with no starts, played eight percent of the team's offensive snaps. He gave up no sacks, three pressures, was flagged for no penalties. And then his snap distribution is 65 snaps at left guard, seven at center, and nine at right guard. Now for the new players. Jamil Douglas came over from the Tennessee Titans. In 2020, he played in 14 games with no starts. 9% of the Titans' offensive snaps gave up zero sacks, zero pressures, and was flagged for one penalty. And then his snap distribution is 45 snaps at left guard and 31 at center. Forrest Lamp. 16 games, 16 starts for the Chargers. 100% of the snaps played. Gave up two sacks, 38 pressures. Was flagged for one penalty. And all of his snaps came at left guard. Lastly is Bobby Hart. He played in 14 games with 13 starts for the Cincinnati Bengals last year. 81% of the team's offensive snaps. Gave up four sacks, 44 pressures. And was flagged for three penalties with all of his snaps coming at right tackle. All right, folks. That's it for the... Offensive line tackling the tough questions. We're going to defense next, so be thinking about defensive tackles, defensive ends, linebackers, corner, safeties. Whatever tough questions you have that you want me to answer, send them in. Joe at thedraftnetwork.com. We'll be getting to them over the course of the next couple weeks on the podcast. Tomorrow, we're not doing a tackling the tough questions. I have something different prepared for you, so don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. Rate, review, and share the podcast, and I look forward to catching up with you again. Tomorrow.